Hey everybody, I decided to take a long, uh, long break, and now I'm back to give you some crime candy. In today's episode, I thought would be a very interesting, weird, but true, nevertheless story of an insidious experiment that I doubt a lot of people know about. So without further ado, I'm going to give you the facts. So I don't know about you, but I remember fantastic memories about being 11 years old. Such as going to summer camp, and especially for me, that was going to Girl Scout camp. I actually get a lot of fun with that. You know, making crafts, going hiking, making friends, swimming in the lake. But unfortunately, in 1954, for 22 11-year-old boys, that would sadly not be the case. Unfortunately, the boys never even... And their parents did not even know they were part of an experiment. So this experiment was a brainchild of, I'm very sorry if I pronounce this name wrong, Muzaffar Sharif. I hope it's how you say it. Um, and it was, this experiment was done was to better understand the realistic conflict theory. So... For those who don't know, that theory explains how intergroup hostility can arise due to conflicting goals and competition over limited resources. It also describes the feelings of prejudice and discrimination toward the outgroup that accompany the intergroup hostility. So before we can find and understand what went wrong with this experiment, we need to find out more about Muzaffar Sharif and why he came up with this. So he was born in the summer of 1905 and was raised in Turkey during the dying days of the Ottoman Empire. He went a place at Harvard to study psychology, but he soon became frustrated by the discipline's narrowness, which mainly involved tedious observations of rad brats. He was drawn instead to the emerging field of social psychology, which looks at how other others influence human behavior. In particular, he became obsessed with group dynamics, how individuals band together to form cohesive units, and how these units can find themselves at each other's throats. So now in the aftermath of World War II, he wasn't the only one interested in this idea. Early in 1953, the Rockefeller Foundation gave Sharif $30,350,000 to carry out what he, what he hoped would be a career-defining piece of research. And essentially, there would not be rats this time. The subjects were going to be 11 to 12-year-olds, and neither they nor their parents had any idea what they were signing up for. So, to get this all started, he'd have developed a fantastic cover story because so he decided the brilliant idea of running a summer camp. So this is actually considered the first experiment he did on the realistic conflict theory. This one happened in Middle Grove, of all places. He planned to bring a group of boys together, allow them to make friends, then separate them into two factions to compete for a prize.
He believed they would forget their friendships and start demonizing one another at this point. The piece de resistance was to come at the end. He planned to set a forest fire in the vicinity of the camp. The intentional forest fire would force the boys to work as a team again, facing a shared threat. And yes, you heard that right. He wanted to create a forest fire so the boys would come together to douse it. And in recent years, we have known how out of control those can get. So this was a this a this first experiment in Meadow Grove was a year before the publication of The Lord of the Flies, written by written by the author William Goldling Golding, sought to show that boys were, by their nature, little devils. Sharif believed that context was everything. Competition over scarce resources could drive people to anger, place a common obstacle in their way, and they cooperate. So in the 1950s, things didn't go according to plan with the Middle Grove summer camp either. Though the surprise was different. Despite his pretense of leading the 11-year-olds to their own devices, Sharif and his research staff, posing as camp counselors and caretakers, inferred to engineer the result they wanted. He believed he could make the two groups, called the Pythons of the Panthers, sworn enemies via a series of well-timed frustration exercises. These included his assistant stealing clothing items from the boys' tents and cutting the rope that held up the Panthers' homemade flag, hoping they would blame the Pythons. One of the researchers crushed the panthers' tents, flung their suitcases into the bushes, and broke a boy's beloved ukulele. To Sharif's dismay, however, the children just couldn't be persuaded to hate each other. After losing a tug-of-war, the pythons declared that the panthers were the better team and deserved to win. The boys concluded that the missing clothes results from mix-up at the laundry, and after each of the pythons swore in a Bible that they didn't cut down the panthers' flag, any contact fizzled. The boys had soon worked out that they were easily being manipulated. Instead of turning on each other, they helped up the tents and eyed their camp counselors with suspicion. Maybe you just wanted to see what our reactions would be, one of the boys said. This to me sounds like something that would happen on a Saturday night on a Sunday morning special on one of those videos I was required to watch when I was made to go to church. Everything works out on the end. The robustness of the boy's civilized values came as a blow to Sharif, making him angry enough to want to punch one of his young academic helpers. It turns out that somebody didn't easily break the strong bonds forged at the beginning of camp. Thankfully, Sharif never did start the forest fire. He supported the experiment when he realized it wasn't going to support his hypothesis. But here's the thing. The Rockefeller Foundation still had given Sharif $38,000 to $350,000. And if he came back empty-handed, he would face not just their anger, but his reputation would be ruined. And a lot of times... That's all that matters. 
So, within a year, he had recruited, recruited boys for a second camp, this time in Robbers Cave State Park in Oklahoma. He was determined not to repeat the mistakes of Middle Grove. There was no mixing at the beginning. Neither of the two groups, the Rattlers and the Eagles, were aware of each other's existence until the second day. But perhaps more importantly, he relinquished his role as Puppet Master. A condition laid down by his research associate, O.J. Harvey, who knew how volatile he could be and insisted on taking control himself. During the first week of the experiment, the two groups were kept separate, and neither had any inkling that the other group even existed. The boys in each group spent this time bonding by participating in activities like hiking and swimming. As researchers predicted, each group establishes norms, hierarchy, and practices. In phase two of the experiment, the two groups were made aware of each other's existence and placed in direct competition in a series of activities that includes swimming, baseball, and tug-of-war. The groups engaged in competitive activities in which both groups, prizes, a trophy, and individual prizes, a pocket knife, and medal were given to the winning team. At Robber's Cave, things weren't more to plan. After a tug-of-war in which Rattler, in which the Rattlers were defeated, the Eagles burned the Rattlers' flag. Then all hell broke loose, with raids on cabins, vandalism, and food fights. However, each moment of confrontation was suddenly manipulated by the research team. They egged the boys on, providing them with the means to provoke one another. As soon as each group learned of each other's existence, conflicts arose. It began with verbal abuse such as name-calling and taunting, battles became even more pronounced once the troops were placed in actual competition. As the competition wore on, the hostilities became much more significant. The teams refused to eat in the same room, making up derogatory songs about the competing teams. At one point, the conflict became so great that the researchers had to separate the groups and give them two days to calm down. During the third and final pay- phase was the all-important reconciliation, and the dismissal of Sharif's theory. The boys watched films, lit off fireworks, and participated in contests. Still, researchers found that none of the activities impacted the the amount of tension between the members of each group. In their next attempt to reconcile the groups, the experimenters took all boys to a new location and engaged them in a series of problem-solving activities. One morning, the boys found out that their water supply had been cut off. They would have to locate the water tank high on the mountain and work together to move the rocks Harvey and Sharif had placed over the valve so that they could open it again. In the second problem, the two groups had to club come together to pay for the movie they wanted to watch. Both groups also agreed on which movie they should care about. By the evening, the members of both groups were once again eating together. Their groups accidentally came across more problems over the next few days. The key thing about each of them was that they involved subordinate goals. Boys from both groups worked together to achieve something they all had an interest in. Finally, all the boys decided to travel home together on the same bus. Peace had finally broken out over all over when they stopped for refreshments. The group that won prize money in the earlier competitions offered to use that money to pay for milkshakes for the boys from both groups. 
Sharif was ecstatic, and with the publication of his findings that same year, his status as a world-class scholar was confirmed. This experiment, which is called the Robber's Cave Experiments, is considered essential by social psychologists and is one of the still one of the best known examples of realistic conflict theory. <clears throat> so here's the thing. There actually is a book written by Gina Perry called The Lost Boys. Um, she actually traced several of his sub of Sharif's subjects, now men in their 70s, to ask him what they thought about having been guinea pigs. Astonishingly, none of them knew that they had rather unusual experiments. They didn't know the camp was fake, which is incredibly surprising. So one of the actual Doug Grissett told her and said, I'm not traumatized by the experiment, but I don't like lakes, cabins, camps, or tents. <clears throat> so here's the thing the the young the guy the man in his 70s that she talked to was actually sent home from the because he was part of the middle grove experiment after because he had a bout of homesickness that Sharif worried would unfortunately become contagious so it's interesting to think what conclusions can be learned from this experiment. Sharif noted that researchers had made painstaking efforts to ensure that the boys were from similar ethnic, religious, family, and socioeconomic backgrounds. None had behavioral problems or past issues of violence. However, the implications of this study go beyond what creates conflicts in groups. And it also offers hope that intergroup conflicts can be reconciled just as the boys and the eagles and rattlers have learned to work together and eventually achieve anonymity. But there are a ton of criticisms of this experiment. The first thing, this was artificially created. While Sharif and his colleagues attempted to create as realistic situation as possible, the reality was that both the groups and the competition between the groups were artificial. The problems they essentially created with trying to turn on the water and what movie they wanted to watch, it, can't, it wasn't able to replicate a deeply rooted beliefs and other influence that can implicate world-world conflicts like long-held sports rivalries. Next is there was a lot of ethical concerns. Essentially, this was it was criticized on more grounds because the boys and their parents didn't know they were actually being part of this. And I really doubt any parent would give would give consent if this was done now. There you have to sign waivers and everything. So, because essentially there was verbal and physical abuse going on for with boys hurting each other and such. So I really doubt this would ever be done again. And the 
biggest problem is it doesn't tell the whole story because actually what I found out from my research is that Sharif and his call his colleagues had performed two previous versions of the experiment that were less far less successful in the first version of the study the two groups ended up ganging on a shared enemy while in the second study they turned on the experimenters themselves so lastly what why is this what is the importance of this robert's cave experiments because it has it talks about the hypothesis of prejudice reduction, which essentially means that contact between members of different groups of people prove how well groups get along. This experiment illustrates how connection alone is not enough to restore intergroup harmony. Even after the competition between the boys ended, the hostility did not disappear during future contact, and competition seemingly became incorporated into the group's identities. The hatred did not fully calm down until the context changed and cooperation between the groups was fired. An example, shutting off the water supply accidentally and trying to pick out a movie. So it's like, it goes so they, the groups need to be also be co-independent and have common goals beyond mere contact. Secondly, this study validated the claims of a realistic conflict theory which justifies that prejudice and discrimination result from groups compete for valuable resources. The boys in this experiment demonstrated the competition breeds intergroup hostility. More importantly, however, this study highlights the significance of the social context and the development of prejudice and discrimination. The boys selected this experiment were well-adjusted and from stable middle-class families. I highly doubt they would be fighting with amongst each other if it find out you had some you had some you had kids from different other backgrounds, which is another thing. So I thought, ending on a note, I would read a passage from um Gina Perry and her book called The Lost Boys, which pretty much sums it up very well. So here we go. After the sun had gone down, the boys raced one another from the swimming hole to their cabins. They were still jubilant from their win, fizzling with excitement, eager to get back and pass around their prize again. The handsome silver knives fanned out on a stiff cardboard stand. Will shouted, Told ya! triumphantly when he reached the cabin first. Panting and laughing, he threw open the cabin door and stopped dead. Mattresses hung drunkenly from the bunks. Pillows and clothes and comic books spilled across the floor. The knives which they put on a makeshift table by the window were gone. He let out his breath in a rush, then turned and started running, pushing past the group of stunned boys who had crowded behind him. Outside, the long twilight was fading. He heard the others calling to him to wait up, but he didn't stop. He ran along the dusty track, feet pounding and across the stream. His heart racing so hard he could feel his bud, blood thrumming in his ears. Behind him, the others had almost calmed up. A jumble of their voices quietened, and the air was full of the sound of panting breaths. There was no need to stop and think. They just followed their instincts, and animals need to retrieve 
What was there? Will raced past the mess hall, where the sounds of a cowboy tune twanging on the radio and the clatter of dishes reminded him of home, of his parents' head bowed as they said grace over supper. But he ran faster, resting those images behind him. When he first came here, he tried not to think about what animals moved through the dark. Now it bared his teeth as he ran. He wouldn't be scared tonight if a mountain lion stepped out of the shadows or a bear climbed down from a tree. Behind him, the other boys rushed. They were a single panting pack, dodging in out of trees, feet flying, crushing pine cones, startling birds. He bashed on the cabin door with both fists. Come out and fight! At the edge of clearing, large shadows moved into the trees. The biggest boy called Red sneered at them from the open doorway. Look who it is! The babies! He swung the door open, wide revealed the boys inside the cabin, who huddled together, talking low, urgent voices. Will caught the glint of a knife in Red's hand. Get them back! Get on your belly and crawl, Red jeered and pushed him hard in the chest. Will staggered back. Behind him, someone taunted, Come out, yellow bellies! Will rushed forward, howling and punching the air. But Red shoved him with both hands, and Will sprawled in the dirt. Red slapped his face with an open pond as he got to his feet. Will's cheeks stung and his eyes filled with water. The boys behind Will shrank back. Cry baby, Red laughed. Am not. Will used his head as a battering ram and threw himself at Red's stomach. They both fell rolling and grabbing at each other, punching and struggling. Some of the boys inside the cabin ran out. One threw a punch and it was gone. They shoved and spat at one another. Their faces contorted with fear and rage. The air was filled with shrill, frightened cries. Social psychologist Muzaffir Sharif, disguised as the camp caretaker, scribbled excitedly in his notebook, hardly able to tear his eyes away from the boys rolling and punching and kicking. Here was the proof of the theory he'd been working on for years, that generally upstanding and fair-minded 11-year-olds could turn into brutal savages. He later wrote proudly that an observer coming across the sea would never have known that these disturbed, vicious, wicked gangsters were boys who were the cream of the crop in their communities. Will rolled on top of Red, but Red grabbed his hair and pulled hard. They were both howling, but neither would let go. Ten hands were trying to pull them apart, and Will hurled adult voices. Will tried to resist, but the man held his arm and pulled him to his feet. Cut it out now, fellas, man said, or someone's going to get hurt. Will was too busy trying to take his finger at Red's to notice how pleased the man sounded. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, episode of Crime Candy. Let me know in the... Let me know. And thanks again. Bye!